This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. If you have not, if this is the first time you are joining us, it will be very good if you f- if you go and watch the previous services. They are very short. They're just like all like around one hour or less than one hour. And so you can just listen to them so you know to have a full appreciation of what we are teaching so far. And one of the things that really became established, that really became clear, one of the um, concepts that the teaching of Galatians has helped to really, you know, elaborate is this um, understanding of the fact that there are two systems. There's the elements of the world and the elements of things from above. Hallelujah. And we said the things of this world are of this world and they are from this world. And for us to participate in them, it is an, it's a performance-based system. All the things of this world are performance-based. They are performance-based. You do stuff to get stuff. But the things from above are God's love-based. They are God's disposition-based. Therefore, to maximize them, you have to respond. You have to receive. You have to respond. You have to receive. And so, you know, in the book of Galatians, the summary basically is that this church in northern Turkey, what is today Turkey? Northern Turkey, north of where Paul was born, um, was a heavily pagan town. The major religions that they were worshipping there were the, the cult of Cybele, and they had they were they were very they were known for the cult of Augustus, Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. They were known for this very for that cult that was dev- devoted unto him. And um, we know that while Paul was preaching there, you know he felt very sick, and um, but in his sickness he was he preached the gospel to them and he had the great fruit of, you know, convert in that town, and then he left them. And then when he left, certain people, certain legalistic Jews who were formerly Pharisees and were hiding behind the authority of Apostle James, the the Lord's younger brother, they came and they came into Galicia to try to sway the Galicians who were Gentiles, formerly pagans, they are not Jews, and they tried to sway them into thinking, into believing that their justification is not complete except they do certain things from the law of Moses. That their justification is not complete except they do things from the law of Moses. They began to tell them that they had to do some things from the law for them to be justified. And Apostle Paul spent this book, you know, he wrote, he focused, this book was focused on addressing that issue, you know, of, you know, thinking that the, the law of Moses can justify you and begins to tell us that, see, the law of Moses that cannot justify Nobody, not even our ancestors, that means not even the ancestors of the Jews, were able to bear the burden of the performance-based system of the law of Moses. Nobody was able to bear it. So that both those that came from James and Peter himself, who fell or who slipped into the momentary era of hypocrisy, none of them could really keep the whole law. And it did not make sense for them to try to put it on the, um, on the, on the Gentiles also, Gentile Christians. And he began to say that the only motivation for them to, the reason why they were doing that, the reason why those guys from the legalistic Jews were doing this to these people was because of power, 
was because of influence. They wanted to gain more influence over the church, and so they were using their gospel to, you know, you know, there's there's certain. That's why I always tell you guys that volition precedes intellection. When you have made up your mind that you want to continue to have monopoly over the religious institution, the kind of doctrines that your brain will rationalize will follow that motivation you have. Your volition precedes your intellection. Your will determines how you rationalize things. Most of the time, in fact, not most of the time, all of the time, people work out their understanding from what they have made up their minds to do. So most of the time, you are tackling with a problem from the will of people. You are tackling a problem from the hearts of people. And so that is why not all volitions are equal. That means that not all wills, not all hearts are the same. A person whose heart is, I want to know God, is different from the heart of, I want to enslave people. A man whose heart is, I want to know God, is going to hear God. God is going to reveal himself to him. And when he looks at the scriptures, because he wants to know God, what will come out from that motivation are things that will enable him to know God. But when a man's mind is made, has been made up, when a man has made up his mind that I want to do certain things in my life, the kind of way he will think, the way his mind will process things, will follow the line of what his mind has, what his mind has already been made up to see. Hallelujah. So volition always informs your intellection. And so that's what happened to these people, right? So all their philosophizing and all their theology about legalism basically was just to do what they had always wanted to do. Something they did in Jerusalem. Something they wanted to do to the Jewish Christians. They also wanted to do it to the pagan Christians, which is they wanted to bring them under bondage of the law so that they can continue to have the monopoly of... The monopoly of... Um, what do I put it now? Give me a word for it. Monopoly of um, religious hierarchy. Yes, yeah, superiority, that's the word. They not to have, continue to have that religious superiority. They are the ones that know how to talk to God. They are the ones that know the way to God and all, kind, like all kinds of things. Praise God. And Apostle Paul really goes, goes into it. You know, he goes about explaining to us how that, you know, um, the law came first and the, the, type, the type of the bondwoman describes the law and how that was supposed to precede the righteousness by faith, which is the son of the promise, which is... Um, the son of Sarah, praise God. So, please get the message so that you can really understand what we, are, what we are talking about. We're going to see a lot of things just based on what we are built on. Praise God. So, chapter 5, it now says, verse 1, it is freedom that Christ, it is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It says Christ has set us free for freedom. Christ has come to set us free for freedom. Right? So stand firm. And don't let anybody bring you back into what yoke you were. But you need to understand what freedom is. Freedom is not liberty to do anything. Freedom is liberty to do something else. There is nothing like absolute freedom in this world. There is nothing like it. There's nothing like that. At every point in time, you are under bondage to something. So freedom from one thing is bondage to another thing. Praise God. Do you understand that? Like when they free the slaves, when someone is a slave, the person is under the master. So the master is the one that is feeding them and taking care of them so that they can continue to work for him. But when they free the slaves, you know there's not a problem because the slaves now have to fend for themselves. 
Nobody's going to be calling them to give them food morning, the afternoon, or night. So it is freedom from slavery in a sense, in that it is freedom from being used and dehumanized like an animal. But when they now free you into being a full human being, as you should be, you are now in bondage to a new thing. What is the bondage you are into? You have to hustle for yourself. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? So there is nothing like freedom. If someone says, if someone puts you under the bondage of do not have sexual intercourse with someone that you have not sworn an oath of commitment to, give the privacy and intimacy of your bodies to only one person, and that's the person that has sworn that they are your ride or die. It is a kind of bondage. But you now say, I'm coming out of that bondage. I want to go into freedom. I want freedom from that obligation. What you are now in bondage to is bondage to not be doing whatever you like. So, you will now be having premarital sex up and down. You will now be dehumanizing yourself. People will be abusing you. People will be breaking your heart. You'll be living an empty life. You'll be hoping that you're having sex with someone you will not get pregnant. And when you get pregnant, your hope is that you're going to kill your child or abandon the child. So you are free from something and you have become under bondage of another thing. You know, it is only people that are committing fornication that are afraid of I've not seen my period. You know that's one bondage. I don't know how many of you have experienced it before. <laughs> but I, 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 I've, 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 I've counseled some people. And I know what, how it used to feel. <laughs> mm. I know what it's like when people panic. But so Sam, we have not seen our period. You know that's the bondage. <laughs> That kind of bondage is people, people that have not done something. They don't used to have that kind of fear. If somebody that wants to be free from keep yourself and wants to do anyhow, that will enter the bondage of Pastor Sam, we have not seen our period. <laughs> A word is enough for the wise. <laughs> Church, together. The structure of our reality is such that at every point in time, God's purpose is being fulfilled. So there is no such time as I am absolutely free. At every point in time, you are serving something. You are serving an ideal. It is I've gone about seeing this kind of thing. You say, atheism is not a belief system. It is lack of belief. That's rubbish. At every point in time, you believe something. When you say there is no God, that is a belief. Do you understand that? That is a belief. You can't say you don't believe anything. There's nobody that doesn't believe anything. Everybody believes something. So there's no such thing as I'm free. There's nothing like that. That's why Jesus never promised you that the freedom he's giving you from the burden of the world is taking away your, your load, the load of the world, and he's not giving you any load. It's only ritual babalawos that promise you those kinds of things. Guess what? Even they too, in their honesty, they used to promise you. They will tell you that the, the thing they're giving yourself, it has load too. There's no such thing. 
Jesus told you to leave the burden of the world and come and carry his own. The only thing I can tell you that his own is light. But at every point in time, you are carrying a burden. So Apostle Paul is telling you that you should be free from the yoke that is, righteous, that is um, righteousness by the law. Verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Trying to be justified by the law has alienated you from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. It's important that you understand this. So when he says that if you let yourself be circumcised, you are obliged to, but I'll come to say something about that now. He now says, um, um, you know, if you let yourself be circumcised, um, you have alienated yourself from Christ. You now, you know, someone can see that and say, ah, should be Paul circumcised Timothy. So if Paul circumcised Timothy, was he, he, was he being hypocritical? No. In this context, when he was saying that's where context is king, in this context, the circumcision was talking about, he was talking about people that were circumcising themselves and seeing it as a way to be justified by faith. So that's why he says, look at verse 4, you who are trying to be what? Justified by the law. Do you understand that? So it was not what he did with Timothy, where he said, let me circumcise you so that I can give me rest of mind. So people will not be asking you foolish, foolish questions. Or when he went back to Jerusalem, to do the, um, he did the Jewish rituals before he got in prison in Jerusalem. Luke tells us that when he got back, he shaved his hair to do repentance. He did all the cleansing things and all that and all that. He wasn't doing it because he was trying to use it to justify himself. He was playing politics with it. Do you understand that? So he is talking about the Galatian impulse to think that when they circumcise themselves, they will now enter a new level of righteousness that they didn't have before. Because that's what we're telling them. If you circumcise yourself like us, this thing, there are levels to this thing. There are levels in God. <laughs> there are levels in God. When you are believed by faith, is one level. But when you now circumcise, <laughs> you see doors open in your spiritual work. It's kind of rubbish, they were telling him. Paul said, if you are trying to be circumcised, you know, so that it can be justified, you have alienated yourself from Christ. And he said something very interesting here, which is something that I want to say. He said something very interesting. He said, I declare to you that if you are circumcising yourself so that you can be justified by the law, then that means that you are obligated to obey the whole law. I can preach a whole message on this. The problem with a lot of people, and I'm going to just talk, is Bible study. Especially in our, all these our Pentecostal circles is that people have not really read their Bible and people are not really thinking. This thing Apostle Paul said is, is very, very critical. He says if you want to be justified by the law, you cannot do one and say, eh, they came and said we should be circumcised because Abraham was circumcised. And you will now stop there because you, want, you think it's the way to be righteous. Do you know what Paul, no, Paul said? He said if you start with one, you have to do all. Because think about it. You say, let us pay tithes. Because if we pay tithes, that's the way God will not send devourer to us. Are you hearing? He said, let us pay our tithes. If we pay our tithes to God, God will protect us from the devourer. And God will bless us and open the heavens, or heavens upon us. As if... Okay. Now, fine. What about offerings? Like I was telling someone that was saying, there, we, let's pay tithes, but let's give offerings. I said, bro, the scripture you are quoting... That said you should pay tithe. Also said you should pay offerings. Offerings was not uh, optional. Are you seeing that? 
You see what Paul was saying? I said, if you do one, you must do all. Just wait to follow my thoughts. You understand now what, what he means. Let me explain to you what Paul means. He said, let's pay tithes. Because God said, if you pay tithes, it will chase the value away from you. Okay, fine. What about offerings? Okay, we have to pay offerings. Good. Let's add that to it. So we are no more giving offerings. We are now paying offerings too. So that God can give, take Devorah away. Fine. Okay. What about the way we pay the offerings? Because you cannot just say you are giving tithes. You are paying the offerings. According to that law, there was a way to give the offerings. There was a way to give the tithes. Are we going to go and stand at the temple and give the prayer that you usually say when you are dropping the offering and the tithes? Because they come together. You say, well, okay, I guess so. We have, since we are paying offerings and tithes, then let us do that. Okay, fine. So, as we are saying the prayer, are we going to do the ritual cleansing? Are we going to do the, what the English word for it? For the, the ablution? Because it comes together. You cannot say, we are paying tithes. There's a punishment for tithes. There was a punishment for not doing ablution too. Okay, so since we are giving tithes an offering, eh, so may just do the ablution. Good. So, when we are going to drop it on the day of the Sabbath, must we also observe the Sabbath? Observe my Sabbath and keep it holy. If you don't do it, there's punishment for you. Are we going to do that also? While we are at it, does that mean that we should not eat shrimp? You now say, ah, no, Pastor Sam, we're getting too far. Let's stop our tights. Why? Based on what exactly? Based on what exactly? You say, let's stop. We say, let's not. So what, what? Why are you stopping our tithe? If you want to do one for performance based to get justification, you cannot stop at one. There are 635 and they are interlinked. It's a lifestyle. You cannot do one and say you will not do the others. It's definitely very ridiculous. Like, I find it very ridiculous. You say, let us pay tithe so that God will not punish us with divorce. And if you want to stop, we don't know how many things they, they say we should not, which they should do so that they cannot get divorce. And it is this conditioning. It is this conditioning. People have a vested interest in people giving their tithes regularly, are hyping the doctrine falsely, and people who are hearing it have also been conditioned and been pushed into fear to really think that God, your father, is waiting for your tithe before he tells the devourer not to devour you. As if Jesus did not die at all. As if we never saw Jesus. As if Jesus never died. That's what Paul was talking about. You cannot say, I will do only circumcision. It, is not like, it doesn't work like that. You have to do all of them. And nobody can do all of them. So you have doomed yourself to fail from the beginning. Church out together. For through the Spirit, verse 5. No, let's read verse 4 again. That says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So, you have separated yourself from the grace of God. You have decided to save yourself. You have separated yourself. 
Um, what's the name of that boy? I'm sobbing you. This is your sob. You have separated yourself from the grace of God. You have decided to pay for your grace by yourself. He says you have been alienated from Christ. He now says, verse 5, For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness of which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, there is neither circumcision nor all circumcision. Neither circumcision nor circumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. So trying to be circumcised as a way for justification is putting yourself in a bondage that you will never be free from. In every sense of the word. That includes the legalism of giving. That includes the legalism of dressing. I get what I'm saying to you. That includes all legalism. You cannot start one and not go all the way. So that's why inside of a Christian, a believer, trying to go back, there is a very core foundation irrationality. It's a foolishness. When a Christian is trying, that's why he calls them, are you foolish? Is something wrong with you? He said, have you been bewitched? There is a core foolishness in believing in the grace of our Lord Jesus and try to live based on the law of Moses. There's a, there's a foolishness inside. You want to pay tithe, but you don't want, but you want to give offering. <laughs> you want to pay tithe, but you want to eat shrimp. You want to eat, pay tithe, but you they chop bacon. You want to eat uh, Mr. Biggs mm-hmm, gala. <laughs> I mean it's ridiculous verse 7 you were running a good race who caught in on you to keep you from obeying the truth that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you a little yeast walks through the whole batch of dough I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You see that emasculate is said there. Is a uh, NIV trying to make it sound nice. That word actually means I wish they would go and castrate themselves. <laughs> so let me tell you what, let me tell you the context of that, what it means. So the cult of Cybele, which is one of the, the, the religions they do in Galicia at the time, the men in the cult, so this is what they do. The men in the cult, they are cross-dressers, they are like transgender people. The men will be dressing like women to worship Cybele. Cybele, I think Cybele was a fertility goddess. So the men used to castrate themselves in the worship to that Cybele. They'll castrate themselves and be dressing like women. So you see that there's nothing they are doing today that they have not been doing since. Then there are women with temple harlots. So that's one of the ways they raise money for their God. If you worship Cybele, you enter the temple, there'll, go, there'll be chicks, priestesses waiting for you. You do, and it's not only communion, that man is a, 
<laughs> on Holy Communion. <laughs> and you drop money and then Saber will take her offering. Praise God. So that's what the men used to do. So he now said, you people want to be circumcised. You know what circumcision is now? Removal of the foreskin. He said, you people want to be circumcising yourself. People are telling you that they should come and circumcise yourself. They should not stop there. They should cuckoo just remove everything. That's what he was saying. Praise God. That's why people say, eh, 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 Christians, when you are talking, may be talking nicely. Eh, the gospel of Christ is nice. It's not kinikon. Don't talk harshly to people. Eh, the gospel is not meant to I just look at you people. Mm. The people that taught us this gospel, if you put their words in our context today, Twitter will have blocked them. <laughs> if you put their words in context today, Twitter will have blocked them. Imagine Paul telling people to go and castrate themselves. Let me just stop there before it be like as if I'm glorifying what is not good. Praise God. Verse 13. Now says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Praise God. As I was telling uh, my guy on uh, this thing. See, the opposite of legalism is not perseverance of the saints. Legalism is a real problem. It's a terrible thing. When Christians are trying to do the things of the Lord to get God's approval or to get God's favor. Right? When they are trying to go back into legal, legalistic things to try and get God's favor and all that. No. See, it's a terrible thing. It's a bad thing. But the antidote to it is faith. Is grace by what? Faith. The antidote is grace by faith. What does that mean? Now we are not in a performance-based system. We are, not, we are not seeing good only when we do good. Now, God is giving us good. All we have to do is what? Receive it. Praise God. But you see, that receiving it is a serious matter. That receiving it is a serious matter. If we can teach people how to receive, eh? see the problem of trying to correct legalism, it becomes a small thing. That receiving is an issue. So that is the reason why someone is struggling with knowing that with someone is struggling with believing that if he doesn't pay God bribe or money, money foundational believer's money, he will, God will not take away the devourer from him. And when something bad, he says because he did not pay his tithe. Do you know the problem with that person? The person does not know God. He does not understand how someone can be good and good enough to take care of you without collecting something from you first. The person cannot understand how somebody can be good to you and all you do is receive what the, their goodness to you. And there's something about legalism that actually reeks of um, um, taking God for granted. There's something in legalism that actually diminishes your view of God. You think little of God. People don't understand the grace of God. They know how big God is. That's why people don't understand the grace of God are the ones that say things like, I go down on my knees unto the father the, after all the nations of the families of the earth are named. There is a way when you understand the grace of God, it humbles you. Because now your guy is your guy, even Satan, that you'll be telling him, if you do something, I'll give you something. 
It is a big man that can give you things without expecting anything from you in return. Do you know why? Because you cannot give him anything. You cannot add anything to him. You cannot instruct him. You can only receive what he has done. You can't give him anything. People need to think. People need to think. The God that is good enough to bless the just and your just with rain. The God that loves humanity so much that he did not hide the potential. He did not hide, hide material resources from them so that every man on the earth can go and walk and enjoy the bounties of the earth. Like Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 13, that the same God that blessed you with rain from heaven so that you are able to eat and your belly will be full, that kind of God, is the God that will now wait and suffer, come to the earth, die, rise again, only for you to come and be saying, give me 10%. If you not give me, I will wound you. Just take it what I'm saying to you. People are just not thinking and people are being dishonest. That's the truth. People are not really thinking and they are being dishonest. It's one of the two. Ask yourself one question. All the good things in your life today, did you pay tithe for all of them? All the blessings in your life today, how many of them did you pay tithe for? How many of them did you pay tithe for? So he now says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. So what he's now telling you that, see, now that God has demonstrated his love towards us, what we do is that we now receive it. But this is the thing about receiving it. Once you have received it, receiving God's disposition towards us, compulsorily comes with a change of attitude towards God. You understand what I just said now? You understand what I just said now? Let me say it again. When you have received God's disposition towards us, when God has demonstrated his love towards us and he shows it to us, what we are doing now is to receive what he has done. But guess what? That heart of receiving what he has done by necessity, is not contingent, by necessity comes with a change in disposition also towards God. Do you understand that? So that is the reason why if, Jesus, if God loved us first and then we now love him, eh? it is because we love him that we will give to him. Do you understand that? Now that we know that we are righteous by faith and we appreciate what Jesus has done, that we now love Christ because we love God. We our desire will be to be pleasing to Him. That's why I've been saying this thing for years. There are some questions that the answers are not in the epistles because they are stupid questions. I've been saying this thing for years. Shall you know I've been saying this thing for years? What questions like if a believer is committing sin, will he go to hell? Is a stupid question. There's no answer in the scriptures. Go and check, you will not see. Do you know why? There is no believer that will be sinning. 
Go and check. It is, you will see now as we go down. It is implied. Every single place where Peter or Apostle Paul talks about conduct, Christian conduct and righteousness by faith, he keeps saying that thing and then judgment for people. He keep, they keep doing it, all of them. You see them keep doing that thing consistently. You see him do it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 6. You know, you see um, Apostle Paul and um, Peter do it in 1 Peter chapter 2, chapter 3. You see them to keep doing that thing. They will say, um, this is what they will say. You see, he did the same thing in Galatians chapter 5. This is how they will say. They will say, don't behave like this. The people that behave like this, judgment is coming upon them. But you are not like this because you are a child of God. Go and check consistently. Consistently. Go and check. You people keep looking at the Christians that were writing this Bible, this Bible at this time as if they were like you. Where they had mega churches and people were not saved, but they don't know whether they were saved, but we're just going to church to go and hook up with girls and all those kind of things. So people that are saved, the people that are not saved, they don't even know. Even the people that are in the pastor itself, some of them are not even saved, you don't even know. And you think that they're like that's why those Christians are coming up. In those days, you are either saved or you are not. Those that are saved know themselves and it will show in their behavior. And that's why when Christianity first came to the to Africa, to Nigeria, when being a, a, a Christian means you will break away from your pagan family and break away from your Muslim family, like my mom, that, that, that became Christian and they chased out of the house without clothes. You don't, they don't chase you out of the house without clothes and then you go on the road and make dancing makosa. When they see you, they will call you born again. So the question of can a Christian that is committing fornication go to hell, the, the answer is Christians don't fornicate. You understand what I just said to you? But, but, there's no but. There's no but. And so that's why the hard stance of some of the old timers still makes more sense. Their hard stance was, if you are behaving a certain way, we don't believe you are saved anymore. Because your response to God's disposition, by necessity, also leads to a change in your own disposition. It's like saying you are tripping for someone. The person now likes you back and you are now tripping for the person. Imagine that kind of thing. You guys that are, we that were married, you don't understand the pain, but try and cast your back mind back to those, those, those days in the wilderness. Those days of turmoil and Ishoro. Imagine that you are tripping for someone and the person now, now no, the person, imagine a fine girl likes you now. And you know, the girl is not tripping for you and all that. And then you two are not tripping for her back. You now say, um, the way you'll be behaving to her is the way you'll be behaving to a girl that you don't like. Does it make sense? It does not make sense now. You cannot say you love God. You love Jesus. You believe that Jesus is inside of you. That's why Peter always says something. That the, the, the true test of religion is how you, how you behave. You say you love God. You love Jesus. You believe that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. That the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Now, don't get it twisted, right? There are low moments. It does not mean that when Apostle, Apostle Peter did his hypocrisy, he forgot that the Holy Spirit was inside of him. There are moments of bad judgment. Do you understand that? That's a different matter. But there is a lifestyle which is a product of a mindset of not being sanctified, of a sinful mindset. That mindset is excluded from salvation. There is a sinful mindset. There is an unsanctified mind by which a person can live a lifestyle of sin. The righteous might fall seven times, but he will get up again. If you are not righteous and you are not getting up, you are not righteous. 
You got to just sit down. You will get up again. Yes, it's possible to have low moments where of the flesh. We can have low moments. And that's why we have repentance. And that's why we see that your behavior changes after. But there is something called a sinful lifestyle that stems from a carnal heart. That kind of life is excluded from salvation. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. That's why the apostles were talking the way they were. That's why consistently they will tell you, people that do like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you are not like them. Consistently. Romans chapter 8, Apostle Paul said the same thing. You see that thing consistently. He will say, people that behave like this, they are not going to heaven. But you are not like this because you are a child of God. You cannot be behaving like this. You are not expected to be living like a non-believer if you are a believer. In the same way, you are not expected to be holding your resources to yourself. After you have understood what Jesus did for you, and you understand the value of salvation, the gospel of Christ, you cannot be holding your money to yourself and say you will not give. Nobody needed to tell the early church that they were selling their property for the sake of the gospel. That is the Christian behavior. You are not paying tithes to Omonile. You are giving because you love God. He doesn't need to give you anything in return. He has given you more than enough already. Do you understand? He has given you more than enough already. He does not need to give you anything again to impress you. Ah, see, part of the reason why people think like this because they, they don't... I'm about to say people are not saved. They don't understand salvation. God has given you everything. Put himself inside of you. You now think it's 10% of your 150000 naira salary that will now impress him. The God that created is the whole universe put himself inside you. You can talk to him. Your heart is crying out, Abba Father, God is my guy. You now say, yeah, let's pay tight so that he will not be angry with us. Can you hear how it sounds? So that's why people say, eh, but we've noticed that when people give dangerous offering, they are blessed, number one. It's not falsifiable. Let's not, do, let's, let's not start arguing. Let's not argue too much. Because if you want to argue, there are some things we will say. How many people did you test? How many people did you compare? Call all the people that dropped dangerous seed. How many people got mega breakthrough? Call all the people that dropped dangerous seed that got mega breakthrough. Let's count. Abi? Shebi wants to use, want to go scientific about it. You see, I've noticed that when people give offering, their lives turn around. How many people? All the people that do not have that experience, are they not human beings? That's the danger of these wrong doctrines. How many people have gone to go and sow dangerous seed, expecting something in return? And what happens? Nothing came. Next thing, all the all bishops are liars. Pastors, pastors are pastors are four one nine. Pastors are four one nine. Listen to me. The only correlation between giving and receiving material blessings eh, is walking by faith. You what I just said now. You what I just said now. That is the correlation. A man of faith gives. A man of faith is also 
blessed. Did you hear that? A man that believes that God is his father and God will take care of him is the man that can see the need of another person and give towards it. But that is the same man that can go on his knees and pray and say, God, I have this need and God will answer. Did you hear what I just said to you? That is the correlation. It is not because you gave that God blessed. If you see it happen to a man, that the man gave and then God met his need in the process, it's not because God is blessing him because he gave him money. No. That man is a man of faith. And his faith has drawn the supply of the spirits. It is faith. It's always been about faith. The just shall live by faith. It's by faith. It's about faith. It's about believing in God. It's about believing in God. It's about knowing God and believing in him. It will affect your giving. It will affect your conduct. It will also affect how you enjoy the privileges of salvation. It's all about faith. God did not bless you because you gave him money. You gave because you are a man of faith. And you were blessed because you are a man of faith. Should I get what I'm saying to you? And so that's why men of faith are patient. It is a man of faith that can give when there's a need. And it's like as if nothing is coming. But you'll be patient because his faith is in God. And he can wait until the end. He can wait as long as it's necessary for him to wait. Do you understand that? It's also men of faith that are not deceived by charlatans. <laughs> it's also men of faith that are not deceived by charlatans. It's a man of faith that will not go for a program. And because people are shouting, falling under the anointing. And doing, wee, 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 ah, wah, wah, wah. And then one person now comes up and now says, if you empty your account now, by tomorrow morning, you are going to get alert. A man of faith cannot fall for that kind of scam. The man that believes that he's giving to God to get something can fall for that scam. You know that? You see, there's a dangerous anointing on my head. If you want to tap into this anointing, give $1,000. A man whose faith is in God, not in man, will not fall for that. Because you look at you, like, since when did you start manufacturing anointing? Should I get what I'm saying to you? So, he now says, verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So, your conduct your heart towards other believers changes when you are now a man walking by faith through love. It changes. The way you begin to treat other people begins to change. You begin to see other people as God's children. So you begin to honor them. You begin to take care of them. You begin to love them as you love yourself also. Praise God. It changes everything about you. It's by, it, it happens by necessity. When you begin to love God, your heart also changes. Praise God. 
Verse 16 now says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, like I was telling you earlier, every, at every point in time, you are serving somebody. No man can serve two masters. Either you serve the one and leave the other. So in the same way, you are either serving the inward part of your being or you are responding to the impulses from the outward part of your being that is tethered to this physical earth. Are you together? Listen, in these our physical bodies, hmm? in this broken world, these our physical bodies was created to be compliant to this broken world. So this physical body is also broken. Do you understand that? I want you to follow what I want to say now because this metaphysics is very important. This physical body that we're created with, that, we're, that was given to us on this plane, right, is created to be compliant with this physical world. So when this, because this physical world is broken, this body also has, is also broken in terms of imperfect because it has to be compliant with this physical world. And so that is the reason why there are some things and there are some instincts inside of it that is, it comes with it. You cannot exclude it from it because it's meant to help you work. For example, the fundamental fear of survival, the instinct of survival, is supposed to help you to be compliant to this world so that you can survive. Do you understand that? For you to live in this world, you have to survive. For you to survive, the instinct for survival is hardwired into your flesh. And that instinct for survival is where all these things of the flesh stem from. That's why the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. See you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Watch this now. Perfect love casts out fear. But chapter 2 says, 1 John chapter 2 says, that those that love the world, the, the love of the Father is not in them. The love of the world is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. So, perfect love of the Father is opposite to fear. The love of the Father is opposite to worldliness. Therefore, fear equals to what? Worldliness. That's mathematics, isn't it? If you didn't do math, you don't understand that. And it makes sense, and this is the reason why. The fear of death, just like the book, Bible, a book of Hebrews also tells us, that he put them in bondage because of the fear of death. That fear of death is where all the love of the world stems from. Did you guys get that equation? If you did not get to raise up your hand, let me say it again. You did not get it. You did not do mass. You did not get it. You are just doing both face. You did not get it. Let me say it again. If perfect love casts out fear, and that's the love of the Father casts out fear, and the love of God is opposite to worldliness, therefore, the love of the world is tantamount towards the fear of the world. Is equal to counterman to that fear. Do you understand that? That is the fear that the writer of Hebrews talks about that the Satan puts us in bondage by reason of fear of. And as I'm trying to explain to you now, you see what I meant. When I, you see where I was coming from. That fear is where all the things of the love of the world stems from. The fear of death and the desire to survive. Remember when I told you guys about the mirror images? What you fear is what determines what you are attracted to, right? They're like mirror images of it. Do you guys remember when I told you that thing? So, because you are afraid of death, you are attracted to anything that will not allow you to die. So, the fear of death is the mirror image of the love of the world. Or, sorry, let me say it like this. The fear of death is the mirror image of the desire to survive at all costs. 
Do you understand that? And that desire to survive or the death, the fear of death is where all the things of the world and the love of the world stems from. The desire for fornication, where do you think it comes from? Is that to reproduce? Just like animals. Anger. Where does it come from? When you're angry, where does it come from? It's not when you're threatened. When someone is encroaching into a place and you feel, you know, you're feeling vulnerable. That's where... Rock, no, let's, let me not talk so much. Let's go. Let's go and check it. Now it says... Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the freezer of the flesh. For, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So they are not, so they are not to do... So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Do you see that again? Do you see what he just said? You see, boy, you see what he did again? I was telling you earlier. He says, um, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the, the desire of the flesh. And now says they are conflict to each other. He now says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he's now telling you that those that are under the law, those that walk by the flesh, does not pertain to you because you are led by the what? Spirit. Because they don't expect you to have both. It can, it's not possible. Praise God. I was about to say it's cannot possible. <laughs> Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred. If I start taking all of these things one by one, it's already another message on itself. You see all these things, eh? They are all manifestations of the fear of death and the need for survival. Sexual immorality and the, ability and the, the desire to have sex with everybody, it comes from the basal instincts for reproduction. It comes from the basal instincts for reproduction. But guess what? The Bible says that the spirit wants something contrary to the flesh. Now that you are saved and the spirit of God dwells inside of you, the things that your body is afraid of, they don't apply to you anymore. So that means that the concerns of your spirit are different. The concerns of your flesh are things that will make you survive on the earth. But the concerns of your spirit are for things that are higher and are more lofty. So because of that, what the things that pertain to your spirit will be different from the things that your flesh wants. Do you understand that? And so that's why the things that come from your flesh are always things that have to do with survival. And that's what I was explaining to someone some time ago um, on... on uh, on, um, was it Twitter? The person asked a question. I explained to someone that that's why there are some things that are of the flesh that are done within the ambits of the spirit that are correct. So the flesh itself is not evil. It is when the flesh is ruling your life based on that desire for survival that you are walking in evil. That's why when a man and a woman who are married have lost for themselves, it is holy communion. Did you hear that? <laughs> Did you get that? That's why when Jesus shows up in the temple and sees people buying and selling, he can get angry with them. Do you understand that? So this idea that if don't get into the Gnostic heresy and begin to say the flesh is evil. No. The flesh is not evil. It is when you allow the flesh to run by itself that is what? Evil. So you see, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, that means that all those hedonistic lifestyles that come from sexual stuff, enjoying yourself and giving yourself to the pleasures, all those desires for pleasures all come from the human instinct and the fear of death. Praise God. Pleasure makes you feel alive. Pleasure makes you feel like, you know, makes you feel alive. So, the human flesh is always gravitating towards pleasure. 
So impurities, debauchery, all those kinds of things come from that. Idolatry and witchcraft, the use of supernatural things to try to achieve things on the earth. It comes from that place of the flesh or fear of death. That's why you see in our African paganism, it's really this very distorted one where we are doing all kinds of using witchcraft to harm people and all that. It comes from the flesh. It comes from the fear of survival. Is if you want to take advantage of another person or you want to destroy another person's life because of yourself. Another person's business near you is doing well and you think it's taken away from your own. So you go and do jazz to destroy the person's business. All those things are from the fear of death. And that's why the Bible tells us that Satan uses it to put us in bondage. He said hatred. Where does hatred come from? Hatred comes from fear. It comes from fear. You hate what you fear. When you are afraid that a person can harm you or a thing can harm you or, you know, kill you, so to speak, that's where hatred comes from. That's why you don't hate things you don't fear. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? See, I just, I just hate rats. I hate cockroaches. You don't hate cockroaches. You're afraid of cockroaches. That's why you don't hate dogs because you're not afraid of them. Because the dog is cute and you like it. But the dog that you're afraid of, you know, see, I hate that dog. It's too big. It's, too, it's, it's, it's biting. How won't you hate it? It's because you are what? Afraid. That's where the instinct for racism and tribalism comes from. People that are from outside, that are not our family members that we don't know. We don't know what they are up to. We are unsure. So we are afraid of what they are capable of. And that's why we have the instinct of hating them. Race, race, um, racism and tribalism and xenophobia and all those things. Do you guys understand that? That's where hatred comes from. That's why pastors hate themselves. A pastor sobbed you or is angry at you or preached against you. What you are doing is that you are afraid that the person's preaching can affect your image and tarnish your image. So what do you do? You hate them. Praise God. That's why I don't hate the people that reshowed me that time. Do you know why? Because I'm not afraid. They've made me realize how much the rich I have is. So I'm happy with them now. So they should continue to amplify. I cannot hate you. I cannot hate you if I don't fear you. It's the person you are afraid of that you hate. I guess that's what I'm saying. Jealousy. Where does jealousy come from? Fear. The person has something that you don't have. It has reminded you of what you don't have. You are afraid that you don't have something that the person has. Your reaction is to what? Be jealous. Fits of rage, anger, when you are angry, is from what? Fear. Selfish ambition, fear. Dissensions and factions, just like I told you now, all those kind of we versus them spirits, fear. Envy, even drunkenness. <laughs> drunkenness, orgies and the like. All those things are the the, 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 the instinct of the flesh for survival, giving itself to things that it feels will help it to maximize its survival. Praise God. All those things are from the fear of the flesh. And he now says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, those who live like this. Imagine, look at all these things. Imagine someone is living like this and he says he's born again. Will you believe? Praise God. Will you believe the person? That's why Paul says, those that live like this, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Because they are not children of God. Hallelujah. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. 
So now that we are from above, now that we have received the spirit from above, and the spirit inside of us is not afraid of, it does not have that instinct for survival, those fear of, you know, the things that the flesh is concerned about, survival. The spirit inside of us is um, concerned about the higher things, the lofty things, how to do the will of God, how to be pleasing unto God. That's why the things that that spirit is looking for, the things that that spirit is targeted, is, you know, aiming at, are things like love. Because every man is created in God's image. And God loves all people. And so that spirit inside of us loves people. It's peace. It's forbearance. We can bear things for long. Because we are now looking to loftier things. We are not concerned with the things of these elements of this world. Our eyes are now set on higher things. So we can bear things. We can bear carnal things that are temporary. We know we are kind, not nice. Do you understand? We are kind. Being kind means to be good to people. Being kind is to be good to people. That's why when a person is in a place where they don't have any source of income and they are completely incapable of any income for themselves, when you give them handouts and you give them money to eat and to survive, you are being kind to them. But at the same time, when you see an able-bodied person that has opportunities and has been leeching off other people for a long time because he's getting money easily, it is kindness not to give the person handouts. Go and walk. When a person refuses to pray, we say, let us come and pray. He say, you are not going to pray. Come and pray. You say, no. And then you shout at him and castigate him. And you tell him, go and circumcise yourself. They are foolish Galatians. They are bewitched you. You are crazy. You are being kind to him. Do you know why? Because you are saying what will help him. You are doing him good. Then we will say, um, when we are responding to 80s, we should always be nice. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we should always be kind. That means that you rebuke them sometimes. You rebuke them. You see a young man that you knew that we were growing up in church and you knew when he started misbehaving, when he met one girl in 200 level that they were always having sex in the room. I'm speaking almost from example of someone in my mind. You knew when he started doing regular, we were going to fellowship together. We knew when he started asking stupid questions because there's one girl that they were always meeting in Kuti, ground floor, E-block. And they were doing rubbish together. The next thing, second semester, he says he's not going to fellowship again. Next thing, he begins to ask stupid questions that is Christianity even free. You, you, you don't tell that kind of person, see, God is kind, you know, God is love. Can he? You say your, your head is not correct. It's sex that is worrying you. Your head is not correct. Do you understand? The kindness is to tell him the truth. That kind of person now come and tweet and say, that's how this person is. Tell him your head is not correct. That is being kind to him. Don't allow him to have the illusion that what he has said makes sense. Look at the Apostle Paul said, he said we did not give them chance for one moment. He said we did not conceal to them for one moment. There are some times when you don't give in to some things. Sometimes it is kindness to shake people out of the spirit of materialism and greed. Not every time tell people, um, 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 it's not let's not love money. Let's not sometimes you tell people you are greedy, you are greedy, you are greedy. You like money too much. Sometimes tell people the truth. It is kindness, not niceness. Hallelujah. That's why love does not have a temperament. There's this idea that love has a gentle temperament. Love does not have a gentle temperament. Love does not have temperament. Love gives it to you as it's what, what love does. Love is focused on what is best for you. 
So whichever temperament will help you at every point in time is where love will give you hot hearts. Do you understand that? So if you need blala, love, that's kindness. Do you understand that? If you need a stern rebuke, that is kindness. And sometimes if you need comforting and compassion, gentleness, it is also what? Love. Do you understand that? You know, it says faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. He says, when you are walking in the Spirit, nobody needs to come and tell you the law of Moses to tell you how to act. You are, doing the, you are walking by the Spirit. You are, man, you are naturally manifesting all these things. Nobody needs to bring one law of Moses to be telling you how to behave yourself. Do you understand that? Against these things, there is no law. Praise God. So those who belong to... Look at it. I'll say it again. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh and it's what? Passions. Are. Do you see what I was saying? Do you see what I was saying? Some questions are stupid questions. If a person is saved, can he still become, if he's formating fornication while the trumpet sounds, will he go to heaven or hell? That is a stupid question. He <laughs> says those that belong to Christ have what? Crucified the flesh with his what? Passions. You have crucified the flesh with his passions. You have. If you're a child of God, you have. And that's why we have to ask ourselves some really serious questions. Should people that just gather together and they're in church and everything? People need to ask themselves some hard questions. One of the questions you should ask yourself is to sit down and ask yourself, do I really believe this gospel? That's a question that people need to ask themselves. Sit down and ask yourself. That's why we've been reading the Nicene Creed in church. Do I really believe this gospel? Do I really believe that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is inside me? Do I? If you do, your behavior will not be the same. Me have seen it firsthand. That's why people ask you, when did you get saved? God knows, I don't know. I don't know when I got saved. What I shall know is that there was a time when it dawned on me that wait. <laughs> Jesus is inside me. That means that everything I'm doing is for his pleasure. And I will give account of everything I'm doing. Even the way I was talking was different. The way I started doing some things was different. The way I started planning my future was different. It is that realization that God is inside you, eh? that the Holy Spirit is inside you, that will make you see a woman that you should lust after, that will make you realize that ah, this thing does not make sense. Yeah. Ah, this, thing, this, thing, this thing does not make sense. This does not make sense. God is inside me. This thing don't make sense. That's why I say the love of God constrains us. The love of God constrains us. Hallelujah. It says, though, those that belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions. So since we live by the Spirit, let us do what? Keep step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking, and having each other. Praise God. So this is one is another whole thing. 
another whole thing. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Don't be afraid. See, envy comes from fear that you will never have what someone else has. That's where jealousy and conceit comes from. Hmm? That is the reason why you will find yourself um, not liking a particular person. Especially when the person is doing well in a way that you want to do well. When you don't have many followers, everybody's your friend. And they're all laughing with you. When you have plenty of followers and people are not paying attention to you, all of a sudden, people are beginning to notice what is even saying. They did not know that you were saying something before. When you see someone having something and there's a fear in you that you will not have what they have, that's where envy and jealousy comes from. But when you remember that you are living, you are in the will of God for you and your life is in God's hands and God's plan for you you cannot be thwarted by anybody. You will realize that unto every man his own. What God has done in another man does not take away from what God is going to do in you. Envy will die. You will not even pray about it. Envy will just disappear. Another pastor is doing well and you find yourself envying them and the next thing, that's when you notice that their doctrine is not good. And you begin to notice things that are not good. That's why envy, what envy does is that envy opens your radar to other people's faults. Love covers it. Envy opens it. Do you understand? Envy opens it. It's when you start to envy someone that you just notice that. Why is he walking with his shoulder like this? Have you not noticed it? Why would you start doing like as if you have not envied somebody before? All of us have envied somebody before. You see this one. See this. Is when you someone has something you don't like that you begin to notice that why is he even talking like that? He's proud. He's proud. But when you love the person, he's not proud. He's just quirky. He's just the way he is. He's just the way he is. But when you don't like the person, you're envious. He's proud. The answer is to recognize what God is doing in your life. Recognize the plan of God for your life. When that happens, you see another person and you know and you can tell that, that whatever the blessing that person has, it does not take away from what God is doing in you. It's not a zero-sum game. The God that did it for the person will also do your own too. And it's not as if the God will do exactly what he has done for the person. What is meant for you, he will do it so that you never have to look at another person's own. Church out together. See, let the love of God kill the fear of the things of this earth inside you. Hmm? Meditate on it. Pour down the love of God. Pour down the grace of God. Let it enter your heart. Let it be the subject of your meditation. Think of how much God loves you. Think about it a lot. Think about how much God loves you. Your fear of poverty will die. Materialism, it actually comes from a fear of poverty. That greed and grabbing, grabbing, grabbing thing, it comes from the fear of poverty. That's why you think that if you can give God harsh money, he will make you rich. It's fear. People don't want to be poor. People don't want to be poor. That's why you just talk about materialism small. Everybody starts sobbing you. Just talk about, let's not be greedy. Let's not be covetous. Everybody starts shouting. Eh, eh, God wants us to be prosperous. Do you know where it's coming from? Fear. Fear. 
is fear. People are scared of the remote possibility of poverty. They don't even want to think about the possibility that they cannot have money. So it's like an allergic reaction. Just mention materialism. Bam, people are still reacting. But the problem with that fear is that it will hold you back from doing the will of God for you. If you are so scared of not having money, if you have to choose between doing the will of God and not having money, guess what you will choose? You will choose money. That's where people that serve mammon, that's where it comes from. It comes from fear of poverty. It's fear of death, but it's not necessary. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Live content. Live within your means. Trust God. Believe in God. Let the love of God kill the fear of poverty in your heart. Nobody will be able to tension you with their car. Your classmates that went to work in Chevron and they're now flying abroad, it will not do anything to you. Let the love of God, let the fact that God loves you, let it be enough for you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you. Yeah.